Do I need to bring a bottle to Sue's anal bum party? Answer me this, answer me this. A liberty prince designed by Shami Chakrabarty. Answer me this, answer me this. Now, those of you who were lucky enough to uh, last it until the end of our podcast last week... Not lucky enough. Good enough. Had the stamina. Yeah. Then you will have experienced uh, the free song that Martin the Soundman added to the podcast last week under his musical guise, The Sound of the Ladies. You say added as if he sort of snuck along once we'd finished and thought, I'll just put this here and they'll never notice. <laughs> I had their, I had <laughs> like the hamburger. Per- I had their permission. No, he thought, I'm going to give you a little dollop of my art for free because he has a new album out, The City of Golden Lid. Yes, and it's been going very well, hasn't it? You've sold out the uh, RTCD thing. Yeah, the initial print run has been uh, well, a cutty thing because it's paper crafts, not printing. But it's sold out. Um, I'm going to make some more. So you can order some more and then I'll send them out when they're ready. It seems like the uh, exquisite paper craft has uh, really uh, got our listeners excited even more so than the music. Uh, because <laughs> on Facebook, Rachel says, I haven't bought a CD in years because it is uh, the 21st century. Yeah. Yet I really want this now just for the pretty packaging. Somebody else has commented on the pretty packaging. Uh, somebody who just calls themselves Ch says, Martin is the hottest married guy ever. Wow. Oh, so someone likes your packaging, Martin. Can I say, that I have had comments from listeners who have actually listened to the music and enjoyed it as well, so it's not, not just for the paper That's crafts. a minor point. <laughs> Come for the paper crafts, stay for the music. Here's a question from Martin from Bristol, who says, While giving blood this morning, I was staring at a photo montage of people fundraising for organ transplant charities. That's really going to cheer you up, isn't it? Oh, they always have to guilt trip you to do one better, don't they? You're bloody giving blood. You know, do they have to be telling you about organ transplants whilst you're doing it? That doesn't happen where I go to give blood. It's just a town hall where uh, they play some gentle radio station like Heart. Uh, He continues. One of the pictures was of some of the staff about to go on a skydive. They were all suited up, parachutes and harnesses, tightly strapped, a helmet on their heads. Well, that's only sensible. You do want them to be wearing parachutes for this skydive. Well, you'd think so, Helen. But uh, Martin from Bristol apparently wouldn't, because he says, Helen, answer me this. What is the point of wearing a helmet if you are about to chuck yourself out of a plane at 20,000 feet? What is the point of wearing shoes when you're inside the house? <laughs> For God's sake, Martin. Yeah, it's belt and brace, isn't it? He says, if your main and reserve chutes fail, you're hardly going to angle yourself headfirst so that the helmet will save you from fatal injury. If your chutes are fine, you're still landing and you might need your head to be protected because it wouldn't take much of a bump for you to hurt yourself really badly no, without think, the helmet. I think that's right. What if you get stuck in a tree? Your parachute works, you get stuck in a tree, you could get your head scratched or bat- bashed around by branches. Yeah. Or, or if you're me you bang your head on the way out the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably fall over trying to get myself yeah. a martini on the plane <laughs> before I even jumped out the fucking thing. I'm not sure the planes that you do skydives out of have a full uh, bar. Well, that's why I've never been, Helen. No, it's probably best not to be drunk as well when you're doing a skydive. <laughs> Apparently also it's very common to get kicked in the head by other skydivers. Oh, so really? it's a sensible precaution and it blocks out a lot of the wind because it's so buffety up there. Yeah, it must yeah. be really, really cold and really noisy. It's better than wearing a woolly hat to cut out some of the uh, cold and wind, plus practical on the landing, as we've said. Here is another question of falling out of the sky. It's from Sam, who <laughs> says, Recently I went to see Skyfall. Oh, I see what you've done. Is that your impression of Adele? Well, no, it's an impression of that song, but in the style of someone doing an impression of Shirley Bassey singing a Bond number. Oh, okay. Whilst it is an excellent film, I found myself unable to concentrate on it after witnessing Daniel Craig strangle someone underwater. Well, that happens in the pre-title, so you must have been very distracted for the whole film. Well, how do you know it's an excellent film then, Sam? I'm not (laughs) sure you'd make a very good film review. I was under the impression that strangling someone stopped them from breathing, causing them to die. 
Yes. Yep, that is the purpose. <laughs> so, Ollie, answer me this. Can you strangle someone to death underwater, or are they simply drowning? I don't, I don't really understand this question. He's saying that because you're strangling them underwater, they're not able to breathe anyway because they'd be breathing in water, so denying oxygen to their lungs is not going to kill them. But the, the whole point of strangling someone is you're also denying oxygen to their brain, aren't you? They're going to yeah, die that you're, way. Because you're putting pressure on the jugular, aren't you? Yeah. In either method, hypoxia is going to be the cause of death. Yeah. It's like saying, my grandmother's got cancer, so if I put a pillow to, over her face, she died of cancer. <laughs> Silly. Let's not over-intellectualise this. The point in the opening sequence of James Bond is that at that moment, it's Bond or his assailant who are going to die. And Bond steps in and strangles the bloke to death so that he doesn't swim to the top and kill him. Right? Yeah. At the time, he's not worried about the nuanced conversation of whether it's the drowning or the strangling that's killing him. He just wants to make damn sure he's dead. Do you see? Like, if he shot someone underwater, would you be saying, <laughs> did he die of drowning? Yeah, exactly. How would he do that? Because the, the, the gun would need air. It's to... James Bond, Martin. It's not realistic. <laughs> Hi, it's Meredith from Lewis here. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. When you make chocolate crispy cakes, is it better to make them out of Rice Krispies, shredded wheat, cornflakes it really depends meredith on how crunchy you want your cake to be i mean yes rice krispies i think are best if you want the chocolate flavor to dominate but they are the least crunchy shredded wheat are the most crunchy but they taste like a bird's nest and that's why i would say always cornflakes for me the cornflakes one it feels more like homemade grub good honest homemade cake whereas the crispy to me Feels a little bit corporate. Really? I yes. think there's a place for Rice Krispies. If you want a finer texture, Rice Krispies are easier to flatten, easier to mould into other shapes. On Ace of Cakes, they use crispy treats a lot for making an unusual structure that cake is too dense for. What is crispy treats? Well, it's what they Americans call crispy cakes. But it's not necessarily chocolate flavoured. It might just be, like, icing sugar and water mixed in. But Rice Krispies in America are called Rice Krispies, surely. I don't know. I haven't done a study. Sounds like an American name. Like, it's got a K in it instead of a C. That's got to come from their mm. insipid right. culture. Reich Krispies. <laughs> the Nazi cereal. <laughs> well, here's another question of cookery mm-hmm. of sorts. Okay. It's from Paul from Singapore who says, Ollie, answer me this. What would being microwaved feel like? Oh, what a lovely question, Paul. Oh. Why don't you ask your soup? <laughs> um... Okay, uh, it would feel a lot like intense sunburn to begin with mm. um, because all of your nerve endings on your skin would start burning at once. <laughs> Microwaves heat water, so wouldn't your blood start to boil? Yes. But ah. it, it, it hits from the outside there. Okay. Correct. First, you'd, you'd feel cri- like you were crisping up. You'd be getting sunburn second by second. You'd be blistering. Presumably. All around your body and start blistering. And then your fat would turn to oil and start burning inside you. And what about your eyeballs? Would they burst quite early on? Because they're all liquidy. Well, the liquid stuff does burst, yeah, because if you, like, put an egg... A yeah. chicken's egg in a yeah. microwave it explodes in about 20 seconds. Even a potato. So you're probably looking at 20 seconds before all your organs explode. Great. But before that, your skin's burned and your uh, fat has turned to I'm oil. I'm not convinced you'd explode that quickly. I think as soon as you get to about 60 degrees, all your proteins are denatured and you'd, you'd probably have brain and organ failure at that point. I think it's fair to say it's pretty rank. I'd, fair to say, I wouldn't recommend it. If you've got a question, then email your question to answer me this podcast at question from hannah from bedford who says today when i was walking home from school i was admiring the christmas lights the christmas lights of bedford 
Hey, I bet they're not any worse than the Oxford Street ones, which oh, this year are sponsored God. by Marmite. And there's someone chundering up Marmite. Yeah. That, Merry Christmas, everyone. I mean, I have seen worse on Oxford Street, but Oxford Street is some of the worst lights in London, I it's think. It's appalling. The uh, BBC's political editor, Nick Robinson, turned on the lights where I live. Wow. <laughs> she shows you the kind of area I live in. <laughs> that's, mm. their, that's their version of a celebrity. I've never been to a Christmas light switching on ceremony. Why would you? I mean, you don't make a big deal when you turn on the lights in your own house, do you? I do, actually. Do you? <laughs> I wait for the local papers to turn up. <laughs> the thing about... Um, turning on light ceremonies is that even if you like the celebrity who's turning on the lights they don't get to do anything I mean if you like a singer for example a pop star yeah, they're not gonna they do don't even number. sing so I mean, what's what, what you're standing there in the cold to see some lights come on well also someone like Amanda Holden you go and see her turn on the lights what would you expect Amanda Holden to do of interest yeah exactly in which case why would you go out to see her turn on some lights yeah <laughs> anyway the lights got Hannah thinking she says I was wondering about whether they have Christmas lights in places like Australia where it doesn't get dark until much later in the evening, because, of course, it's high summer when Christmas hits Australia. It's, actually, it's, it's like literally the middle of the kids' summer holidays when Christmas Day comes yep. along. Then I proceeded to wonder as to whether Australians have the same sort of Christmas decorations as us, as a lot of symbols on the cards are red robins or snow, which they don't get in Australia around Christmas time because it's summer, Ugh. and often about 40 centigrade. Then I started to wonder if Australians have their sexual organs on their head because they do everything upside down down there. <laughs> are there toilets on the ceiling? And if so, why don't they get wet? Uh, so, Ollie, aren't Answer me this. Do the Australians still link Christmas with snow and wintry images, even though they have a much hotter climate over the festive period? Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, because they're they one of our colonies. I mean, she's not asking this question about Argentina, is she? No, exactly. If they were from a, a country with no concept of Christmas, do they know it's Christmas? Then that yes, would be different. Yes, they do. <laughs> uh, but they Don't do. patronise them, please. <laughs> do, 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 do. But it's interesting that, that Christmas arose as this sort of pagan festival for basically cheering people up when it was really dark and miserable. And now it's spread. And you know, kind of a cultural colonisation has spread south of the equator. There's a whole half of the world that have this, has this essentially pointless festival. No, but they might have had a midsummer festival that got uh, aligned with it. What about in the winter, though? What do they do in the middle of winter when they need to cheer themselves up? They watch telly. <laughs> <laughs> Much like we do here. Though. But I understand that Australians still do have a lot of snow-centric carols, and yeah. a lot of decorations are about that, but they have barbecues and well, things like that instead of so turkey. Weird. I mean, think about most Christmas movies are made in Hollywood. It never yeah. snows there. So yeah. that's all fake, isn't it? But it's it's part of an image that we all understand. Think about the traditional Christian Christmas card. You know, three what, Jesus in a manger yeah. in the Middle East. Three, three old men hanging around a stable to see a baby. Might make it sound like some weird sex ring now, don't I? But but basically yeah, that 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 image, the donkey, all that. Yep. That's not something we can really relate to, is it? That is a Middle Eastern image from thousands of years ago. Well, also, they've whitewashed Jesus, haven't they? Indeed, yes. Mm. That's so strange, isn't it? Uh, and White yet, Jesus. You know, that's an image that people, Christians, associate with Christmas, even though they can't necessarily relate to it directly. So I think people have the capacity to... Uh, to fictionalise. It's yes. like a Father Christmas as well. He looks to be beyond retirement age, and yet he's still doing a very demanding job. <laughs> like Tony Hall, the new Director General. Hannah has another question. She says, I was lucky enough to be part of the audience at this year's Royal Variety performance oh. it was quite a variety yes <laughs> the name doesn't lie yeah. uh, hosting acts from Robbie Williams to Ooh. China's three tenors and from Ballet de Revolution to Ashley and Pudsey the Britain's Got Talent winner and the dog that won it for her uh, so Ollie answer me this who decides who gets to perform at this event and how much say does the Queen or Prince Charles have in the process well there's a bit of controversy about this this year because oh. um, People were saying that a lot of the acts in the Royal Variety performance this year 
uh, were from Simon Cowell's various shows. So mm. people were saying that Simon Cowell is obviously uh, some sort of evil mastermind who's plotting every single act of the Royal Variety performance and it's all, it's all corrupt. Oh, it's just one stake in his Machiavellian plan to ruin all noises of the world. Whereas, clearly, <laughs> I mean, you know, of course, if you're putting together a variety show, which is a concept so outmoded it's barely relevant to anyone under the age of 60... Put your hand on your apron and welcome <laughs> under one-man band with his trouser full of fillets. Um, if you're going to do that and you don't want it to just be Bruce Forsyth and Lionel Blair... You get all these people from factor that yeah. sound the same as each other then great variety well in- done inevitably you're going to have people that have been on britain's got talent and the x factor because that is the modern variety show the, the kind of acts though are things like diversity who are a dance act you've got ashley and pudsey who are a dog act you've got stavros flatley or sort of comedy dance act the queen loves comedy dance. one direction they're a boy band they are quite different the actually queen loves one direction <laughs> she did smile did you see the picture of her meeting one direction no. she genuinely looked thrilled to meet them oh, harry oh. style i see one has the same hairstyle as one well maybe she'd heard that he likes a cougar <laughs> she's still got it so anyway i mean you know that to me is not a surprise they're not going to go scouring for variety acts at spearmint rhino of course they're going to be looking at the uh, lineup of britain's got talent um uh, but the question of how much does the uh does the royal family get involved in choosing the, the the final list well they're not tv producers are they yeah as you can imagine not at all any event involving the royal family uh invariably does involve meetings between the palace and the producers so of course there'll be a couple of times a year where someone from the entertainment artists benevolent fund for it is they that organize the performance really uh, yeah because oh. it's to raise money for them so oh right no, they're not being benevolent by giving stavros flatley a gig no they're being benevolent for paying for stavros flatley to have a pension afterwards no. <laughs> um someone from their organization will go and speak to an equerry at the palace and run through what's on the running order in case the palace have any objections but i mean since the whole thing is objectionable basically yeah. <laughs> they're not going to say oh no we really don't like girls allowed we were going to get the insane clown posse on this year i'm assuming that's fine with you the queen <laughs> <laughs> I got a feeling that it's about that time we take a question from the Skype line muzzle tough. <laughs> and the number <laughs> for that is this. 02081235877. Lochheim. <laughs> Or you can Skype answer me this. Drank. I've literally no idea what's happening. So big it up and let's see who's on that line today. Hey everyone, it's Nick from Hawley in Surrey here. I was watching some TV adverts last night and after an advert for Iceland showing new fingers of lasagna, which kind of filled me with an abject horror and also a misplaced sense of superiority, I came to realise that pretty much all ad campaigns for shops are now in full swing for Christmas. Now, between department stores and furniture stores, that's a lot of shops doing a lot of advertising over Christmas. And apart from the odd Elton John cover version, they all seem to use a popular Christmas song. And somehow they always manage to avoid using another store's song choice. So Helen and Ollie and Martin the Soundman, answer me this, please. Even though brand rivalry is supposedly at fever pitch over Christmas, is there some secret cooperation between shops to avoid using the same 
songs as one another. They don't cooperate with each other. What it is is that each store, when they license a song for their million-pound advert, mm. uh, makes sure that they get exclusivity on it. So uh, you're going to find out pretty quickly whether someone else has already nabbed it. What if they play something like God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, which is out of copyright? Yeah, well, that, that's that's fair game. And I think it's fair to say that any of the supermarkets that choose to use God Rest You Merry Gentlemen would know perfectly well that other people would be using it too. Well, I doubt Morrison's would use it because their adverts are all sexist. They're like, huh, you think Christmas is easy, but look at mum, your poor indentured slave, mum. Yeah. Oh, those of you who don't have a mum, you can't have Christmas because mum's <laughs> in the back making it magical and no one appreciates and no one cares. <laughs> I quite like the bit in the Morrison's ad where the mum, the, the hard put upon stressed out mum, mm. is fighting with the turkey in the ring. I thought that was quite actually quite a bold image for a, for a Christmas advertising campaign the, for a supermarket. The turkey is the only one who's paid her any attention. <laughs> Here's a question from naughty and devious Pat from Canada. Ooh. Oh, great. <laughs> she says, I recently discovered that I can see all the iMessages my two children are sending from their phones on my iPad. Whoa. I don't How? even need to steal their phones and check them out anymore. I can just get it delivered to me. That's amazing. We use the same Apple account, me and my kids, and during my last update, their email addresses were added to my device. Yeah. So... Once I figured this out, I corrected the settings on my iPad and no longer receive their messages. But Helen, answer me this. Should I leave their messages alone or should I add them back so I can keep tabs on them? Well, Pat, you had an uncommonly moralistic impulse to disable this function. Oh, don't say that. Is that uncommon? I'd like to think every mum would disable it if they realised they were getting their kids' messages. Yeah, dream on. Let's have a poll of our listeners. (laughs) You would, wouldn't you? And therefore, to reverse that decision is worse than if you just let it carry on. Oh, no, that's very interesting. Because that was accident that you were then taking advantage of, whereas this would be deliberate spying, and I think it would be quite hard to live with yourself for doing that. That's a really intriguing distinction, because, yes, you've you've thought what would be the right thing to do, Mm. and And, now, having decided that one course of action was the wrong thing to do, you would then be choosing to do that, which is different to just letting it happen. The problem is, as well, you cannot do anything with this information. It's like if you'd stolen someone's diary. Well, Um, no, it's even better than that. It's a real-time diary, Helen. It's updates on every single thought that they're having in real time. You will probably only learn things that you wish you did not know. Like emoticons. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> they're called emoji actually why, why can't my kids punctuate and spell um, <laughs> even if you learn something useful or important like one of your children is uh, suffering from uh, some extreme private trauma mm-hmm. you can't tell them how you know because uh, well, that, that's showing that, that they cannot trust you ever no, again that's right no, that's I, violating your relationship I agree you can't tell them but maybe mothers have ways of uh, being there for their children in the right way without having to explain how they know because they can pretend that they know just through mother's intuition exactly yeah through instincts I think uh, the, the content of the majority of children's text messages is, uh, and uh, iMessages are probably extremely boring I think that probably is the case and the problem is when you get one that isn't boring that's when the danger starts isn't it you're unlikely to get one that is um uncontroversial and interesting so I think just stay away no good can come of this teenage girls in particular Mm. uh, will tend to sensationalise the stuff that is interesting so the the depiction that you're getting of it in the text message you know it will sound like they're out bonking people and it will sound like people are doing drugs but actually they're not there's not any qualifying information because it's a short form communication yeah in any case this isn't a very representative sample of what your children are sending because you're only going to see the messages that they're sending to other kids who have iDevices so actually you're only going to see what 
they're saying to their well-off friends. <laughs> Good which, point. which isn't necessarily the most interesting, is it? It's if the one percent, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Time for a question from Kieran from Ireland, but living in Liverpool. What a wonderfully meshed-up accent he might have. <laughs> he says, "I've recently purchased a new pair of shoes. This is exciting news, isn't it, Ellen? Breaking news. Excellent work. And in the box, along with my fine leather brogues, Ooh. was a bizarre little paper sachet. Is it like Alice in Wonderland?" Drink me. Or it could be like an um, Firebox where they send you retro sweets. Have you ever ordered anything from them? No. Do so they you... send you free retro sweets? Yeah. Wow. Would that convince you to buy something? Nah, no. Because I don't really want one of those little uh, helicopters that's remote controlled. I mean, I guess it's a talking point, isn't it? I mean, here I am mentioning it now on the podcast. I wouldn't be otherwise. But I do just think, why? I mean, you, everyone knows they only cost 10p, fizzy cola bottles. And yet it works, doesn't it? It kind of does. It makes you happy, yeah. yeah. It does make you happy. Also, it's a bit like uh, the Pass the Parcel version that we used to play as children where there was a, a fruit gum in between the layers. So right, it yeah, was still just a, a treat for those who have lost. Yeah. yeah. Or for those who are yet to win. It gives you the winning instincts. Yeah, and in a way, you have lost if you've spent £399 on a Parrot AR drone. <laughs> you've got nothing else in your life. Yeah. We've got those nilfers. Oh, yeah, we've all been there. Anyway, he continues. Uh, on it, on this paper sachet, was written, Silica Gel... Do not eat. Well, why is that bizarre? That's in all of the products, yeah, everything's really. Everything's got silica gel in it. Uh, I've seen this stuff in a few different purchases I've made. Silica gel conspiracy. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> let's, let's not rip into him too much, actually. I guess lots of people have wondered this. He says, Helen, answer me this. What the hell is silica gel? It's What's silica the purpose gel. of it? And, uh, and my biggest concern, what would happen if I did eat it? Okay, well, firstly... It's silica gel, which is just another name for silicon dioxide. Sand. Exactly. Is it sand? The I didn't realise. I knew sand. it was granular. It's actually lot, sand. It's the same compound as in sand, but it's a lot more porous in its construction because okay. what it's for... Yeah. It's dryness, isn't it? That's it's what like absorbing yes. water. Exactly. Yeah. And so if your shoes were stored in a particularly damp shoe warehouse or something, they would go a bit gross and yeah. the glue would probably start to unravel, whereas the silica gel reduces the humidity by about 40%. And then you just throw it away harmlessly. And uh, the reason why they ask you not to eat it is because it's probably not good for you to have a belly full of sand. Yeah, it's not food, is it? No, and sometimes they add chemicals to it as a dryness indicator because they change colour to show how much water it's absorbed. But why isn't there more silica gel in things that we want to not get damp, like, I don't know, bookshelves? I think it's just because when uh, things are out in your house, they're the normal house humidity. Presumably, if you had a damp house, you could keep these packets and line your walls yeah, with Yeah, well, them. I was just wondering, like, could you have, like, in the loft or something, just a massive silica gel bag? <laughs> then it do swells and your roof pops off. <laughs> it's worth considering. You know, like a supersized Heston Blumenthal-style one. But it a says, magical one, to use the parlance from his ridiculous show. Heston's food panto, as I like to call it. <laughs> Well, here's another question about something that you should not eat. It's from Alistair in Glasgow who says, Ollie, answer me this. Is it true that if you swallow chewing gum, it stays in your stomach for five years? Uh, no. Oh, because that's the myth no. that is always peddled around why you shouldn't swallow your chewing gum. Yeah, because and Instead, it's... you should stick it to the underside of tables. <laughs> or you should leave it on the pavement so the council has to pay for it to be jet washed off, you um... dicks. <laughs> gum chewing dicks. It's propagated, Helen, because it's propagated by parents to their children. They're trying to discourage their children from constantly chewing gum. And to eat their crusts. Exactly. Hair on your chest. Because it's, well, also, it's not very easy to digest. That is true. Yeah. It doesn't linger in your stomach for five years. It just comes out in a lump of chewing gum in your turds. But that's not yeah. very nice. <laughs> yeah. So it is good to encourage your children to spit their chewing gum out and also... To... Well, responsibly into a piece of paper, which you then put in a bin. Indeed. Yes. And also, 
to perhaps give them a slight fear of the product so that they don't overeat chewing gum. Yeah, because that can produce a lot of stomach acid. Well, also, it's just not very pleasant, is it, no. kids constantly chewing gum? No. It does concern me, though, Helen, that perhaps somewhere there's some sort of weird freaky child, like I was, uh, who might be deliberately swallowing lots of gum so that it does stay in their stomach for five years, like so that they have, I don't know, blowing bubbles out their bum. But it was your boyhood dream to be able to blow bubbles out of your ass, wasn't it? <laughs> now I just talk out of it. Um, you know, they used to say, oh, you, if you eat a seed, like watermelon seed or whatever, oh, yeah. it will grow in your stomach. Tree will grow in your stomach. I used to do that all the time. I used to, <laughs> I used to swallow all the pips and stuff. How yeah. heavenly it would be. I just thought that would be really cool. I mean, I didn't think about how the horrific pain of having an apricot tree rupturing your inner lining of your stomach. I, I thought, think... oh, would it be brilliant? Well, you could prune it. Yeah, only once it's burst out of your stomach like John Hurt, though. Maybe the young Ollie man was just a bit better at science and thought, well, this isn't going to be exposed to any sunlight, so it's just not actually going to grow at all. So it's probably fine. There's no photosynthesis going on down there. And we all know the sun shines out of my ass, so the photosynthesis would be happening outside. <laughs> so you did plant a lot of grass in your pants. <laughs> the only place the restraining order doesn't stop me following Helen and Ollie is at twitter.com slash Helen and Ollie. Ollie's on Sky News. Martin's gone to work. Helen's been left unattended. Martin's doing a song. Helen's bought some olive oil. Ollie's cat shat a blue thing. Ollie loves his cat. I'm jealous of Ollie's cat. Um, here's an email from Zoe in San Antonio, Texas, who says, Helen, answer me this. How do I tell my dad that I don't want him to walk me down the aisle at my wedding? Uh, well, on the day, you just go, don't come near me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be fine. That is the most sensitive way to do it. Yep. Um, I don't think that anyone needs to give me away to my husband because I am not anyone's property. Yeah. I am a person. I'm not a number. I'm a free man. Right on, sister. Uh, the problem is that my family are very, very traditional and southern and will see it as a big faux pas if I'm unaccompanied down the aisle. Uh, I don't want to cause any problems in my family or hurt my dad. So, Helen, answer me this. What should I do? Uh, Well, the thing is that a wedding is an occasion where it gives you the licence to kick off more than you can at any other point in your life and get your way more. But also, at the same time, you feel like you have to make loads of compromises because other people in your family are kicking off and wanting you to give them their way. And may have actually paid for it. Yeah, that's a good point. If your parents have invested money, I think you've just got to suck it up and, and go, well, it's only about a minute of my life. That's not very feminist. No, well, the thing is, I do disagree with this uh, tradition and Martin and I uh, walked in together, which uh, took uh, a lot of the stress out of it as well because I find ceremonial entrances and exits at weddings yeah. really not for me. I've actually about faced on this in recent years because my instinct on this was always, look, marriages are a kind of outmoded, traditional and unnecessary thing. Fuck so, you too. So, <laughs> so if you know, but they are, I'm talking from the point of view of metropolitan Londoner the, in 2012. The, what, what There's about no se- need for them anymore, certainly. What about same-sex marriage, though? Uh, we're not talking about same-sex marriage. But that's not traditional. Uh, it's new. I, I, I'm telling you what I used to think. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get married at all... Do it as sexist as you can. Then you're, then you're, what you're saying is, I want a traditional thing, nope. so just do it all exactly the way that, if you like, it's supposed to be done and stop offending people. I don't think that's a logical argument. No, I don't agree. I have about faced on this in Yay, recent years. logic wins! Partly from <laughs> going to some of my friends' weddings where they have, including yours, where they've done their own thing. Mm. I've thought, actually, yeah, it is their day and they should do whatever they want. Well, also, I think the, the central tenet of marriage now, if you're not religious, um, is just the fact that you've chosen this person to 
be in your family and that you want this relationship to be more important than your other relationships. And so I think if you're just concentrating on that, the traditions are just a bump around it. And I just thought, if I don't understand these traditions and I don't want them, I'm not having them. And being given away was one of them. My dad wasn't bothered. I can't remember how I addressed it to him. But I, I think I just... It's probably acted. whilst he was watching the rugby. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he probably up, didn't notice. Shut up! Stop Try standing in front of the television and agree to whatever, whatever you say. You want, whatever. I wouldn't want to claim possession of you anyway. Um, so I you think I... You have an accident. Get out of my living room. I think I just acted like that was a thing that was never going to happen anyway, rather than going, you know this thing you expected to happen, it isn't. So my situation was easier than hers. Yes, well, that's it. So if but, you come from the position that your situation was easier... And imagine yourself in a situation where it wasn't, where he did really care. I think if this means something to you, either you could say, I'm really nervous about the idea of walking in, so I'd rather walk in with the groom. Or maybe you could say, I'd like both my parents to walk in with me, because maybe it seems less sexist if uh, your mum's there as well. That's quite a nice solution. If you imagine yourself in a situation where your dad had cared deeply about it, and it's something he'd always wanted to do, Mm. and especially, as I say, if there was a situation where he was committing financially to it as well, my dad's never committed financially to anything that's not Sky Sports. <laughs> right. So just, but imagine yourself in that situation. And then I do think, you know, he would be hurt. And the wedding, it, it is about you, but it, your parents are part of it as well. There are so many compromises that you feel you have to make. And again, I was incredibly lucky because my family aren't really that wedding-y or that traditional. They're going to complain about something. And if this means a lot to you, they'll complain about this rather than something else. But even if you let them get their way with this, there'll be something else they're not getting their that's way That's true. So they're going to be discontent. So I think just concentrate on what you want the most. Yes, yes, but it's a balance of what you really want. Yes. Like, so you have to really care about this or they have to really care about wanting to do this. Mm. You have, that's, the, that's where you make the compromise, isn't it? That's where you have to balance that. How much do they care and how much do I care? If, you, if, you, if you're against it in principle, but actually you don't care about it as much as your dad cares about wanting to do it, then I just let your dad do it. My suggestion would be uh, have a chat with your dad, explain to him that, that, that you're not comfortable with that and find another way yeah. to make him an important part of the ceremony. Obviously, he's got a speech, but if there's another way that you can make him a really important part of, of, the, of the day so he doesn't feel like he's getting pushed to one side, then, then do that. That is a very good idea, Martin. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Answer Me This. Oh, I'm sad. I'm not. I'm not because we just took delivery of a Chinese takeaway. It's waiting. <laughs> it's moist. There's spring rolls. I've got Some, curry sauce. Something I can smell smells it. good. I can smell it, Helen. Yeah, so without further ado, we say to you, send us your questions for next week's episode. Yes, and all of our contact details are on our website, AnswerMeThisPodcast.com On there as well are Facebook, our Twitter, our albums, our classic episodes, which means episodes we made in 2007 to 2009. Which are all actually better than I remember them being. People have been writing in saying, stop slagging them off because they're actually all right. They are actually, some of them are actually quite good. That's some corkers. And yet Martin watched the first film by George Lucas, you know, the one that's just called like THX numbers, numbers, letters, oh, yeah, numbers. Yeah. That's poor. That's, not, yeah. that's, that's worse than our early works better. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, so buy, buy our old episodes. They help support the show and uh, they'll entertain you. We'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.